You're listening to the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk podcast on KCPW, kcpw.org, bff.fm, and kfog.com. I'm John Wildman, and we are on location at Slamdance headquarters on historic Main Street, interviewing some of this year's most important and exciting voices in independent film. Joining me this morning are my co-hosts from Bitch Talk, Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. On today's special episode, we will have a roundtable. It has Richard Lorber, the CEO at Kino Lorber, Miranda Bailey, she's the founder of Cherry Picks, and Leela Med O'Connor, the executive director at the Film Festival Alliance. We'll also talk about the Slamdance closing night movie, This Teacher. We've got the director, Mark Jackson, along with Dana Thompson, co-writer-producer on that film. The documentary We Rise Up, that's a Sundance project. We've got the director, Michael Sean Conway. And then finally, we're going to talk some film composition with Ennis Rothoff. He's the composer for the Sundance film Sunlit Night. And we are back on the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk Podcast. My name is John Wildman, here with the Bitch Talk hostesses, Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora, my team here on Daily Buzz. And we are going to do a roundtable on our hot topics. And we have Richard Lorber, who, of course, is the CEO at Kino Lorber. We have Miranda Bailey, the producer at Cherry Picks. And we have Leela Meadow Connor, who's the executive director at the Film Festival Alliance. This is a great combo to have. I want to start off with this one since we have Richard here. Um, there was uh, an article I just read recently on what film distributors are actually looking for now in films. And you've been doing this forever, I believe. A little longer than forever. A, a, little, a little longer <laughs> forever. But what are you now looking for for films that you're considering at Kino Lorber? What are you actually looking for? What are you hoping for? You know, it's interesting because we're looking for films and sometimes films are looking for us mm. and we try to you know meld those two agendas um, in the documentary area particularly that's the focus here um, we certainly look for films that have a strong central core that radiates out to a larger audience we look for films that self-select a constituency that have some strong audience identification and then sometimes we look for something that's completely different. <laughs> well, and that's why, that's why I was so excited to have you yeah. do the segment because, yeah. um, because I used to think I knew exactly what a Kino Lorber film was, and, you know, which was a very cool film yeah. and, you know, and, and something that I looked forward to. But it seems like there has been a little bit of, of uh, um, an expansion in the last couple of years, um, like films like The Lore. And, and th things like that that, that, that you know that, that I wouldn't assume were Kino Lorber films. Which film was that? The, the Lore. The Lore was uh, Janice. Oh, that was Janice. <laughs> okay. We, we, we actually Janice turned is it, still the same. We, we, we turned it down. Actually. What? <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to talk about that after. But 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 yeah. but talk about yeah. that about about that decision to go. Mm -hmm. Well, th this is you know traditionally what has been, but let's go a little bit out of that. Box. Well, again, if if the focus is docs, you know, we 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 are uh, a broad spectrum distributor. The through line is quality, originality, voice, vision, uh, and those are cliches, you've heard it many times, but our current 
release docs range from Matt Turnauer's Studio 54 mm. mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Uh, our current Oscar-nominated doc of Fathers and Sons mm. about you know raising a, house, a household of, of loving father who happens to be an Islamic jihadist right. and raising his kids to be terrorists and killers. Uh, so you know they're very very wide range of 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 options and sins encompassing both of those films. Uh, for from a narrative point of view, uh, it's a little trickier. We're, we're looking for films that have a high degree of poetry, that have vision and have uh, the, the projection of of a view of the world and a story that is unlike anything we've ever seen before. The film that we have here that we just acquired before Sundance, the narrative film is The Mountain mm-hmm. by Rick Alverson with uh, Jeff Goldblum and mm-hmm. Tosh Sheridan. Uh, it's unlike anything I've ever seen. It's it mm-hmm. featured, the, the, the protagonist mm-hmm. is uh, Jeff Goldblum, is, is, a, is a 1950s era lobotomist. <laughs> so I won't say anything more about it. But you can, Please tell us more. If you paint a story around that and you'll come up with something u- unique and mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, Miranda and Leela, um, again, I was very excited to have the two of you on, on this segment um, because both of you have been uh, very active in, in terms of the promotion of female filmmakers. Um, that's been something on both, both of your minds. And uh, parody pledges have been uh, something that has really come to the forefront uh, in, in, in the last year or so. And I would love to get both of your perspectives on film festivals doing parody pledges um, between uh, female uh, produced films, directed and produced films, male produced and directed films. Um, yeah, there have been a lot of films, uh, film festivals that have decided to do this pledge, both publicly and within them, you know, within their own organizations. Um, I think it's great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's to me, it's a little bit like sad that we need to have that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I understand why some film festivals do it very publicly, and I understand why some film, f- film festivals are like, this is just what we do. Mm-hmm. We don't need to make a pledge just to say that we're doing this. Um, but it's great to see the, the promotion of female filmmakers, um, and hopefully that parody extends beyond just gender. Yeah, and, and, and just also to be clear for, for our listeners, in, in case this is new stuff, um, but the parody pledges are basically saying 50% of our films will be directed by women, 50% mm-hmm. of our films are going to be directed by men. All right, Miranda, you've, you were able to buy some time by having Leela take the question first. <laughs> well, I mean, I think also we need to include people of color in yes. that. Um, and I don't know, I, I mean, for me, having like a signed pledge as opposed to like... Um, kind of a focus and a determination to make sure that they're seen or considered, I think is the most important thing because there are definitely amazing films by females and females of color and men of color. And I think that the biggest problem was that they were overlooked in the beginning stages um, Hmm. as opposed to, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's proven by now that you know, they're good. Right, right. <laughs> but not everyone's good, and just like not every white male film is good. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you know, and, and that's why I'm, I'm curious about this because, you know, again, I, you know, I happen to work with uh, film festivals that have uh, amazing people like the Melanie Addington at Oxford, uh, you know, um, Leela instituted things at, at Tallgrass while, while, when, when she was there. Um, Heartland, uh, you know, does this. I mean, the Women Texas Film Festival, and and mm. of course they they are very focused on um, you know on, on putting forward the great works of uh, women and and people of color. But it is a tricky situation when you are saying, well, exa- it has to be its exact yeah. amount. Well, I have an idea that I think is pretty, um, it, I think it's 
controversial. Some people like it and some people don't because I'm also a filmmaker. Um, but I think like if we fix it in the awards <laughs> in terms of being, say, like fee- best female directed film, mm. best, you know, there's best supporting actress, there's best actress, there's best whatever, mm-hmm. best female support, mm. supported film. I think that then festivals have to look for who's going to win or be nominated in that category in terms of our competition. Um, and I think that, that will help get more women seen personally. I love that idea. Yeah. yeah. Changing like, the language. As a, female film, yeah. as a director, like I don't like being called a female director. Right. I like being called a director. But at the same time, if it means that I can get my movie out there more to be on the female director side, then I, I think we have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. I also think we have to start by rewriting history. And, you know, we've taken a, made a commitment to that with the release of our collection Pioneers First Women Filmmakers. Yes, that yeah, is that a was fantastic. A good one. Which, uh, is just about six hours of the earliest works of, you know, the Alice Guy Blachet and Lois Weber. And next, uh, the next few months we'll be releasing the documentary about Alice Guy Blachet called Be Natural. Uh, it's an eye-opener and it gives people a sense of the continuity of the contribution that women have made early on, unrecognized and unrewarded, and what they're doing now. So, I know I've been uh, bugging David uh, Nin in your office for my copy of that. I still haven't received it, Richard. <laughs> that, that, that will be corrected. <laughs> wow, you have a lot to talk about after this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, and, and, and of course we're, we're at Sundance Slam Dance, and you know, and I have three people uh, like yourselves. We need to hear um, what you've seen that it has excited you thus far. Um, that's part of the favorite parts of uh, Hot Topics. So let's go down the line, uh, Leela. Um, I really liked the Silicon Valley for the inventor. Was that it? Um, I haven't seen it yet. She is crazy. Great, <laughs> yeah. crazy. That's the Alex yeah. Gibney directed Alex film. Alex Gibney film. And I saw Honey Boy yesterday, um, the Shia LaBeouf film. Mm. I mean, it was good, very personal. Um, <laughs> and I saw a few that meh, meh, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we're all also, positive oh, on this oh, show. Oh, oh yes, yeah. exactly. Um, Troop Zero with Alice and Janney oh. is really and cute. And Jim Gaffigan. And Jim Gaffigan. Oh. It's really fun. It's just a fun film, and I think it, it'll play. It's an audience pleaser. Miranda, what about you? Well, I've only seen the movie that I produced here, which is the <laughs> untitled Amazing Jonathan documentary. I've heard great oh. things. Somebody oh. just texted me that that was amazing. Oh. Good. Well, you know, it's got it in the title, so... Subliminal <laughs> <laughs> um, message. Yeah, but, but I do plan on going to a movie after this. So it's been. It was a long day yesterday with the premiere and stuff. So. And Richard, mm-hmm. I, I got in last night, but I did see uh, prior, and it will be here. Anthropocene, which mm. is a stunning uh, environmental documentary, mm. uh, and of course mm. the Mountain, which we already have committed to. But I look forward to seeing about twenty or thirty films before. They put me away. Ah. <laughs> Which like, like, you're not that old. <laughs> oh, th- th- that's my fault. I like Ageism that. also but, but, yeah, something yeah, we yeah, need to work yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but tell us what a couple of times that are on your hit list that you're kind of lo- that you you're looking forward to seeing. Um, looking forward to seeing Mads Brugger's doc uh, about Doc Hammarskjöld. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking forward to seeing. Uh, um, you know, th- I'm going to have to review my notes, but my brain is kind of jammed right now with rep- recommendations that my team of three or four <laughs> are giving me so I'm letting them do the first first pass on a lot of films as well they should uh, and, and, and Miranda uh, we don't have a lot of time left but let's talk about like dividing up like you know a fest when you have a film that's here that you're working on and then having fun time so to speak seeing films and how do you well, how do you personally manage it um <laughs> 
Well, <laughs> fun time is an odd, odd word. Um, it sounds kind of sexy, actually. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually, so I have a distribution company called the Film Arcade, right. and so I watch films for to buy there. And then I have a production financing company called Cool Air and Pictures, and we produced and financed the Amazing Jonathan documentary. Mm-hmm. And then I have another company called <laughs> The Cherry Picks, mm-hmm. which is the female alternative to Rotten Tomatoes, mm-hmm. where we cherry pick the female critical voice out and we have our own scores about what women think about movies. And uh, there's just you know not enough um, female critics that are included right now in, in the scoring of, of, of movies. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. Can you give yeah. us an example of a rating on Cherry Picks versus Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, there's, like a, there's actually a lot. If you go to thecherrypicks.com, uh, you can see all of the latest releases and whatnot. So, for instance, like Egg, I'll say. That's a, 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 an independent film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a bowl of cherries for... Cherry, cherry picks. So women critics seem to love it, whereas it didn't get the best responses from mm. men. But it's definitely for women, mm-hmm. you know. And I think I think I don't know what the score is on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's in the like low sixties if it's fresh, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas like it's cher- a bowl of cherries is super high. <laughs> it's not easy to get a bowl of cherries. Mm-hmm. So there's a big difference in that movie. That's a recent movie that I can think of. Okay. Everybody wants a bowl of cherries. And, uh, oh, that's been, don't uh, want the pits. We no. do not want the pits. That's the last thing we want. All right. Uh, again, another wonderful hot topic segment. We've been talking with Miranda Bailey at Cherry Picks. We've been talking to Leela Matt O'Connor at Film Festival Alliance and Richard Lorber. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. Thanks. We are back on the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk Podcast. My name is John Wildman, here with my Bitch Talk co-hosts, Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. The film we're talking about right now is This Teacher, screening at Slamdance. We have with us the director, Mark Jackson, and Dana Thompson. She's the co-writer and producer on the film. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Okay, we start this off because we've got a lot to unpack with this movie. We start this off with uh, Mark, you introducing our listeners to the movie. Tell us about This Teacher. This teacher follows Hafsia Hertzi as a French Muslim woman who uh, comes to New York City to reconnect with an old friend. She finds that they don't have much left in common, so she uh, leaves the city and heads upstate uh, for a, a sojourn alone in the woods. Okay. And there's a lot that's going on <laughs> under, un, underneath uh, uh, the, the surface. Um, with all of the all of the people in this movie, and especially Hafsia, um, talk about and, and and I always hate to, to to do these this kind of question, but the inspiration for the film, um, why this movie? Sure. Um, so you will not replace us was the white nationalist chant that came out of the Charlottesville rally, mm. and uh, this current administration ascended to power, stoking the fear and fire of replacement. And they did so on a platform of racism, xenophobia, misogyny, paranoia, and hatred. And it worked. And uh, it also represents the the very, very worst of of humanity. So it felt Mm -hmm. particularly urgent to provide something of an alternative, and that was a humanizing portrait of a Muslim woman. And uh, I had had the great fortune to work with Hafsia Hirsi on my previous film as a supporting character. 
and and I knew that that she was the one to pull this off. And Dana, you're a co-writer on this. Yeah. Uh, so talk about you know uh, crafting the story because this um, the journey that Hafsia takes in this film um, is not a typical journey. Um, it, you know, it, it, it's it's one that we're following her, and um, we are not easily seeing. Oh well, she's going to do this now, mm-hmm. or, or 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 this this is you know we've got a couple options, that, and, and and it's going to be based on what Hafsia chooses to do, and what that that's not the film that we're doing here. Um, you know, we really have an exploration with her, and you know, honestly, you know, I was watching it um, and not having a clue as to how this thing was going to end, which I think is, is very much to the film's credit. So talk about Thank that you. as a writer. Um, <clears throat> well, we started out with, uh, with our character right away. We knew we wanted it to be about her. And um, I, had, I had, for New Year's Eve once, I had rented a cabin upstate in the woods and had gone up there alone. It was snowing at that time, so. I was really isolated there, and um, I had some pretty divine moments there by myself. I was there for three days, um, and there were there was a cabin nearby in the woods, and um, I was sitting in my bed and kind of tripping out at the sky and um, out the window, and two people walked by, and I was like, <gasps> oh my God, I'm not alone. <laughs> um, so uh, so we, ca- we wanted Hofsia to, to do something like that. And then um, I thought, well, who could these people be? And it seemed fitting that they would be uh, the people that they are in the movie, which is they're, they're more conservative and they're the Trump supporters. Um, and then we wanted them to have an interaction, um, but also wanted to have Hafsia finish her, her spiritual existential journey that she was on. It was important that we didn't have her um, be uh, in a romantic relationship and have that be the cause of her angst um, because that's stupid and we've seen that enough. Um, So everyone is having these existential crises. We talk about it all the time. That's why more people are meditating and stuff. Um, So we wanted to make a film about that and show what it would be like if somebody really went there and went out in the woods and faced it and screamed at the sky and um, asked the universe, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want from me? And um, so I'm kind of rambling on that question. But, you know, that <laughs> it was only there with ramble. you. No, yeah, no, no. I think I think that message definitely comes across because as people, we're not just one thing. And Hafsia, mm-hmm. she's she's French, she's Muslim, she's female, she's yeah. a baker, she's all these things. Mm-hmm. But she just mentions the wrong label to the wrong people, yeah. and all of a sudden, she's just this one thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's interesting because it's coinciding with her own journey to define herself. So she's mm-hmm. being defined by these others as this one thing while she's trying to broaden from from these labels that she has. Mm-hmm. Well, and also being defined by her friend, too. The friend, so. that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Her friend yeah. is, is not the nicest person. Her, her, <laughs> not her, my favorite, th- not my, yes, not my favorite yes. person. Her, her, her friend may, may be one of the most heinous people uh, ever depicted on film. Yeah. In a benign way. about that one. That, <laughs> Oh, and Sarah, we oh, had the lines yeah. for Sarah, and, and what she said. She was. We had to kind of explain the lines to them because they're they're French speakers mm-hmm. and they do speak English, but we'd have to like 
explain every sentence in a few different ways so they really understood the sentiment. And um, and she was like, but that's horrible. <laughs> and I said, I said, but yeah, but your character is horrible. You know, it's not you. She's like, yeah, your friend would leave immediately if you said that to her. <laughs> exactly. She does end up leaving. <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I want to talk about the, the, the American couple. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, the, you know, your, 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 your representatives of the, of the Trump supporters. And, and the... The complete about face um, when they realize that uh, that Hafsi is not French, um, that she's Arabic, um, you know, in in their minds, uh, you know, and, and I was saying, it took me all the way back to the '70s with the Coneheads from Saturday Night Live with the joke of of Americans being um, so incapable of processing something different from themselves mm -hmm. that. That the coneheads could simply say we're from France, and and, and, and would and that'd be a free pass, <laughs> and and and, in th and this was a very dramatic, um, you know, application of that same problem with this country, uh, in 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 that way, uh, and obviously you know there there's a a, 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 a deep political inspiration for this mm -hmm. film, but you also depicted um, the American couple uh, in a way that's not obvious. Um, and I would like for you to talk, both of you to talk about your approach to that. Sure, I mean, these are people that we grew up with mm -hmm. and that we know intimately and that we loved and have a hard time loving now. And um, we, we see their rage and we understand that that's fear, but we understand that there's love underneath that. And so it was important to show that, you know, I think on the, on, the flip side, the the people that are in support of this this administration are are um, shown as cartoons, and there's certainly many that that hold up that image quite well. But there are people that are um, just normal people that you wouldn't know, and I don't think that they quite understand. Um, and it's just it's a it's a it's a snap. Uh, adherence to a label, as you guys were, were talking about. Like, mm -hmm. It's just a word. Mm -hmm. And um, and it's been, and they've really been, uh, it's been hammered home. And, you know, really, we, it's thanks to the corporate media that we have this this president in power. They said his name so many times. Mm -hmm. That's why I don't want to say his name. Right. Don't have right. to. Then uh, that's why he's our president. And so, um, yeah, it really... You know, we were writing this, and there was an incident that occurred on a on a beach in in Texas, I believe it was. And this and this man, a drunk guy, just started attacking a Muslim family that was on like a little family reunion. And the things that he said were so ham-fisted that you could never pull it off in a movie. People would be like, "This is unbelievable." Right. And to counter that, that you know, to compact compound uh, that absurdity, he was being countered with. Uh, a gay slur, you know, it's just like these times are, you know, they can't get any more cartoony, right? So, right. but but it w was also important for us at least to show in the beginning that these are charismatic people that enjoy, enjoy having a good time, but. Uh, and wear a, a, a t-shirt that says love on it, <laughs> you know? Like, and that are Christians. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. and Christians, mm -hmm. absolutely. And yeah. just so normal, you know, and they just, how did, how, actually, I'm curious to hear how you guys responded to that, because we've had um, some people have thought that it was, 
I, I feel that they are incredibly toned down compared to, say, a rally, uh, you know, where thousands of people. And people think that their response is too strong. It felt normal. Oh, no, it was so believable. Yeah. It was so, yeah. Well, again, it's, it's, it's the flailing of, of, of um, someone uh, confronting or being confronted uh, by something that they fear. And they fear irrationally. And alcohol is involved as right. well. well, well yeah, so yeah. And, no and inhibitions. Yeah, yeah, and right. it's like you know you you know you going well we're you know we're, we're we're loving people and you know or and and, and we're law enforcement mm-hmm. and what have you and and something sim- someone simply says well I'm this thing that they have built up to be this this frightening thing that they just don't understand and so then all composure is lost mm-hmm. and and every all prior relationship is gone because now that person becomes. Um, you know that 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 thing that that's been demonized, and there is the 9/11 storyline underneath that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Yes. it felt normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Normal. Well, mm-hmm. and and so again, uh, the the film is this teacher. Uh, there is a lot going on with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, and I highly recommend it. Uh, the director, Mark Jackson, uh, co-writer, producer Dana Thompson have been with us. Thank you both for being here. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. You're listening to the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk Podcast. My name is John Wildman. I'm here with Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. And this segment, we're going to talk about the film We Rise Up. We've got Michael Sean Conway, who's the director of the film. Welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. And as always, we start off the segment letting our director introduce our listeners to the film. Describe We Rise Up. Uh, we Rise Up is a social impact film uh, looking at what are the ways in which uh, we have to be as people to create a thriving humanity. So we look at uh, kind of redefining what personal success looks like, collective success, and then universal success. What does success look like in including the planet, including uh, all living beings? Okay, and uh, you know, it, it is inspirational for obvious reasons. Uh, and you, it seemed obvious that anybody would wanna make a movie like this, but why did you in particular want to make this movie? Yeah, we got started with this conversation around what is success. It was, it was a, uh, an interesting thing. Like, well, why do we consume so much? Why is it that we want the big house and the fancy cars? You know, what is it that drives us to that? And, and then those people who achieve that, especially those people who achieve it at high level, how come they feel so unfulfilled by attaining mm-hmm. that success? Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like a, a, an interesting area to begin to explore. Like, well, if, if success, as we have it defined, doesn't even leave people feeling happy and fulfilled, then maybe a, a great way to, to achieve making changes on the planet is to actually really look at the definition of success. So we really started with this personal success idea. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just kind of snowballed from there. You know, we got, I think we've interviewed over 150 people who are experts in different domains of, 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 kind of personal development or or business or business for Im- impact and good. And then eventually, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we started interviewing people that were like futurists and thinkers about you know, how does humanity evolve and what is our kind of inevitable future going the way we're going and then what can we do to, to, to maybe alter that inevitable future. So yeah, it was, uh, I think I learned more about uh, the topic in the process of it than I th- would have ever imagined that there was content there to learn about. And uh, the really amazing thing is to be able to distill that into uh, a form that that the wider society doesn't have to take four years to learn. Hmm. Yeah, I, I 
wanted to talk to you about uh, the people that you interviewed. It really runs the gamut from the Dalai Lama to Kenneth Cole to uh, Grant Hill. So uh, did you, it, it seems like you just sat down with basically everybody because everybody's opinion was important in this yeah. research. I'm kind of sure, I'm pretty sure that we are, we three are the only ones that didn't interview for this film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess the email, <laughs> we'll, we'll email that went to spam. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah but, well, I mean, it, if you're going to redefine success for humanity, you can't ask a small niche group of people. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, our, our first impulse was to ask people who are experts. And then we started thinking, well, well but does that really, does that tell us anything? Mm -hmm. we, we need, and, 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 and in the first cuts of the film, we had a lot of people talking about things. And in this cut, where we are now, it's really people talking about their own personal experience and, mm -hmm. and what they've discovered and what they've learned. And so um, it's less, um, uh, here, listen to me, hold forth, and more, you know, um, you know, there's a great moment with Moby in the film where he says, you know, it, it, I discovered that, that debauchery and fame were, you know, not, not fulfilling for me. And said, he said, occasionally I would go to the perfect party and I'd leave with the perfect person. Mm -hmm. And for about 15 minutes, I'd be happy. And for the, for the other 23 hours and 45 yeah. minutes, I was miserable and filled with self-loathing. And, you know, like you don't get that from an expert talking about, mm -hmm. you know, why success is unfulfilling. You actually have mm -hmm. to go to somebody who's been to the top and have that conversation and then figure out what do they do next? You know, what did they do to actually create a life that worked for them and, and, and where did they turn? And I think that's kind of the, if you will, the crux of the movie because we, we don't only just explore these topics, we actually discovered what creates a fulfilling and happy life. And we discovered that you know, people who, who understand what their gifts are and they align their lives, their work and their action in life with those gifts, they live a purposeful life, that those people are really happy. It doesn't matter how much money they have or how many things they have, those people actually are happy and fulfilled. And as we look at a bigger context, as if, if I'm doing that and giving my gifts, what does that add up to? What, what do we end up in society and culture? And if we all did that, what would that look like? Where would we be? And, and the answer seems to be, that we'd reinvent our culture and society oh, to yeah. function very different. Yeah, mm -hmm. that feels more like a spiritual fulfillment. And I don't mean God and I don't mean yeah. religion, I just mean spiritually, uh, yeah, that's, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, great, and given the tools that we had to define success before, material um, evaluations and measurements seem to be making the most sense. You know, like, hey, let's measure GDP. That's a great way mm. to understand mm -hmm. if our, our culture's growing. We can measure if there's more money being made. That's, that's fantastic. Um, but those measurements necessarily leave out the, the kind of human component, the yeah, emotional component. Yeah, that's in a black and white world. Yeah. Maybe that would count, but. Yeah, well, and it, it doesn't. I mean, especially with inequality and disparity and, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, yes, some people thrive when the GDP goes up, most of us don't. Um, and if we can't get our hands on the GDP, which most of us can't, what can we get our hands on? Well, we can get our hands on our life and our direct experience of our life, and we can, uh, you know, take the time to figure out what really we're here for. You mentioned um, that this version of the film, and you know, and and sometimes we will have a documentary that will come to uh, Sundance, and then uh, will be updated because of his events that happen. You know that that, that update mm -hmm. the story. Yeah. You know, some someone is convicted. Some you know uh, you know a revolution happens. Yeah. You know that they have to do. Um, uh, is this a work in progress? Is, it, is, is there a fluidity uh, to this, even though you are screening at Sundance? Uh, I, we are, we are done. I mean, it's really interesting. I, you know, I, uh, with this project, I didn't know if I was ever going to get done. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, yes. we didn't get our interview yet. Yeah. So yeah. It's our part two. Um, and I, it was, um, it was September time that I got to the first cut that I liked, and we've had eight cuts since then. Wow. But um, we've done a lot of, of previews with audiences and stuff, and um, two weeks ago we had a, a, a big screening, a private screening in Boulder for about 300 people. And, um, you know, I was able to, to watch the film inside of the listening of the audience, mm -hmm. and I realized it was complete. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it just, it, and then the, the feedback afterwards, the kind of the different points in the movie that touch people differently, move them or, or maybe reach them where they were in their life, um, it, it really occurred to me. Now, with every film, there's little things that you right. want to fix and stuff right. like that, but I think uh, it, it just, it, it feels really good. And even when I watched it, I watched it yesterday, um, it, it, it you're still you're still okay with it there's just a, there's a <laughs> I mean I don't know if other filmmakers feel this but yeah. there's just a quality of like yep that's right that's right and um, you know I think uh, uh, you know many of us uh, as you're making a project you just never know if you're ever going to get a feeling of that's right I could when I for our first cuts I couldn't watch more than about 20 minutes before I was just like I can't oh. I can't this is I can't even take this I can't even <laughs> and and so it, it, I think you know these projects for them to, to fit together and really ring and resonate. I, I just don't think anybody understands what it takes from the people that makes the films. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a different challenge for, for a documentary to do a film on an idea mm. or, or a philosophy or, as opposed to an event mm. or, or, or person. And, and I'd love to have you, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of time left, to talk briefly about that specific challenge of how you, how you, how you shaped the film. Yeah. Because you could have gone in countless directions. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like I was more like an uh, anthropologist than a filmmaker in some mm -hmm. way. I was uncovering something. And, uh, you know, even my, my interview style is I, I really didn't have specific questions I wanted people to answer. And uh, we used a face-to-face -face interview system that allows me to see them and, and them to see me. So it's all direct to camera work for the, the people. And I would just follow my interest. If somebody started talking about something I didn't know anything about or was curious about, we would just talk about that. Mm -hmm. And some of these interviews were over an hour long. Uh, and, you know, if you watch the film, people are in the film once for 30 seconds, you know, 15 mm. seconds. And so, you know, countless hours of just being willing to be with people, uh, be with what they were sharing and, and listening for those moments that had resonance, you know, like really deep resonance. And, uh, you know, for the, the 90 some odd minutes that are on the screen, there's hours and hours of just amazing conversations that I had with people. Um, and so uh, it, it, it felt a lot a lot more like I maybe in those other films you've got something to say some person you have an interpretation of somebody's lives or an interpretation of events and I didn't really have something to say as much as I had something that felt like it was really important for humanity to hear and that I it, it wasn't me that knew what that was but there were amazing people that we could sit down in front of the camera and have them share their experience and together that tapestry that weave of different voices allowed us to see this broader context of, of, of what's coming through humanity right now, what we all feel and think. I mean, we started talking about the move from me to we four years ago, but it wasn't in pop culture, and now it's here. Um, you know, we started talking about how do we shift from uh, focusing on what I'm getting to focusing on what we're all getting, and, and it, just, it just happened in culture at the same time we were making the movie, and I think that's, um, you can never plan on that. You can never 
you can't make that happen. <laughs> but you so. know, it, it, it is a lot to take in, and in a remarkably short period of time, with with what what you cover in this film, uh, and it and it is, you know, it you know, cynically people say, you know, when they say a film is inspirational, but this is an inspirational film. Yeah, I think right now it's and this wasn't planned. Uh, right now, the people that watch it say things like, "I, I feel okay again. I feel like mm-hmm. I can have hope," and it's not. We don't. We're not intentionally inspirational. We're not pressing the inspiration button or the, the emotion button like that. But the message really says that that this is in our hands. Mm-hmm. That to stop looking out to the world to our leaders and let them have them fix something. That hey, right here, right now, we can actually start rising up. We can actually start. Um, making our relationship with the world whole and complete, and then gathering people around us and including them in that that definition. Well, the film, the title of the film is We Rise Up, and we've been talking with Michael Sean Conway, the director. Michael Sean, thank you for being here. Thank you guys, really appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to the Festival Daily Buzz with Bitch Talk Podcast. My name is John Wildman. I'm here with my co-hosts from Bitch Talk, Aaron Lim and Angela Tabora. And our guest right now is Ennis Rodhoff. Ennis, tell us about Sunlit Night. First of all, thanks for having me here. Um, it's a movie directed by director David Dunant, uh, whose last movie, not last movie, but uh, his movie Wetlands played at Sundance as well. So we're happy to be back with his fifth movie, The Sunlit Night. And it's a movie about two New Yorkers meeting at a remote location by coincidence at the, in Norway at the Lofoten Islands. So um, the movie's based on the book by Rebecca Dennerstein and um, it the director took his very own take on that experience of these two people coming from New York, meeting at a place where they both feel, you know, it's, an, it's a quite different place, and the scenery is beautiful, and uh, we're going to enjoy a very unique experience and how they experience that world. And what was your role on Sunlight Night? I was the composer, or I am the composer <laughs> for the music, and um, yes, my role, uh, of course my role is bigger than being the composer. You first discuss the movie with the director, and try to find out what his overall vision is for the movie. Then we looked at the pictures. They shot beautiful scenery in uh, Norway. And then we slowly figured out a way um, to get close to the story. Uh, You might think that if you shoot a movie in Norway and it's beautiful scenery, that you focus on the you know the area or the nature that it would be the main character. But really, the movie is character-driven and focusing on these two people and what they go through. And remind me, did you work with, did you do the, um, the composing on Wetlands as well? Exactly, yes. That, that's what I yes, thought. Yes, it's beautiful to be back with this movie. We yes. worked together, I worked on, this was the first collaboration, uh, and uh, this was Wetlands, and then we worked on two other movies, and the fourth collaboration is now back at Sundance. Well, and, and, and I was a huge fan of Wetlands, and, uh, and, and it's funny because sometimes this happens when we're, we, we bring guests in uh, to interview, um, and we actually talked at length during Wetlands, and you were nice enough to send me the CD for Wetlands, right. which has a cherished place in my CD library because I'm old and I still have a CD library. <laughs> we do too. We I, do, too. I do too. <laughs> and records again. Great, of course. Yeah, of but course. we did. We, but we talked at that time at length about 
um, about your part in the creative process. And, you know, and we oftentimes assume that the composer just tacks on the music at the end, like you, know, like you, you get something yeah. and you go, well, I've got to put music on it now. But that's not always the case, and it's certainly not the case with your relationship and how you work. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, for me as a composer, why I became a film composer, I mean, I, my plan was never to become a composer, but a film composer. And what's so beautiful about film music is that you create a narrative underneath the, the story that we're experiencing. And that can be quite different. I mean, you can focus on the characters, inner emotions, you can focus on the scenery. And, um, you, you know, we could have thought, you know, this movie plays it Norway, in Norway, let's use some Norwegian music, which we did not do, because uh, we have two people from New York experiencing mm -hmm. Norway. So we went with a quite different approach, using electronics, combining it with strings, making it somehow organic and of course, taking in the scenery and of course, you know, paying respect to Norway and the beautiful landscape, but making it personal and to find out what that could be. Um, in my case, I like to work very closely with directors and David is a very precise and very, very a director with a clear vision. So in this case, I would call this my closest collaboration. Um, and, and tell me because, and again, because you know, we, 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 did, we did speak about wetlands quite a bit. With Sunlit Night, were, were, were there any particular scenes where you had uh, originally uh, put a piece to, of music together and then when you watched it with him, the two of you said, mm, it just doesn't quite do what we want it to do and uh, you went back to the drawing board? Even quite the opposite. We first created a template of sounds that we would like. Um, maybe 300 sounds and went through them and thought, does it work with the scenery? Does it work with scenes? So we didn't work immediately on scenes, but we looked for a palette of sounds. And you know, recently a t an Italian friend explained to me, if you do pasta <laughs> and you want to know how uh, well cooked the pasta is, you throw it at the wall and if it sticks, then it's good, right? And I thought that sounds very much like the process we had on this movie because we had to find something that sticks. and. This is just the palette, and then how to work uh, in the scene. Um, you really need to figure out what's the tempo of the scene, who are we focusing on, where are the changing points, what's the emotional temperature. And I actually included David a lot into it, so it was never that I pre presented a final product. I, I mean, on, cup on a couple scenes maybe, but not in the beginning, because it's such a special movie. So perfectly good, perfectly cooked pasta. Yes. That is what we're after with film <laughs> composition. And, and we've been lucky enough to talk with Ennis Rodhoff, who is a composer for Sunlit Night. Ennis, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Wrapping up the Festival Daily Buzz on KCPW, kcpw.org, bff.fm, and kfog.com. The show is made possible with the support of KCPW and Slamdance Film Festival. Our sponsors include Black Rain, hemp-infused products that focus on wellness, relief, and recovery. Studio Movie Grill, opening hearts and minds one story at a time, and Caroline Cromwell of Slope Style Realty of KW Park City, Keller Williams Real Estate. Additional support is provided by Nasty Women Wines, ProBar, you went to Brewing, Couple Co. Podcast, and Whole Foods Market in Park City. This show is audio produced by Charlene Goto with production help from Angela Rowling and Sophie Gunther. Our executive producer is Lancia Wan. 